minds in the game hosted by adam camilleri art of war down under hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to this episode 87 i think of the art of war down on the podcast my name is adam camilleri but you already know that and i'm here joined by uh, one of my really good friends uh proper awesome lad from victoria melbourne my hometown his name is Stuart trainer you may know him as the winner of the victorian masters that is my home state he was the winner essentially being called you know the best player in that state for uh this year he came third in uprising in 2021 and was the best gray nice player in australia in the itc like i said his name is Stuart trainer hello mate and welcome to the show Hello, it's great to be back. Um, it's great to see that even though you're all around America, you haven't forgotten about your Australian mates. So, no, Definitely not quite the opposite. It's uh, Being over here is making me miss you guys all the more. And uh, especially with now Australia's like, oh, so when I bailed from Australia guys in November, it was it was just maybe opening up. Like we didn't know like with, with you know, Omicron was, was starting to ramp up. We didn't know if things were going to open up or close back down again or which way things were going. And so I took the opportunity and got the hell out. And But things have gone pretty well for Australia. And you just came from a, a Teams event on the weekend? Yeah, I was at a Teams event in uh, Tasmania. So went interstate and, um, yeah, That's our team feel good. copped a pretty big win over the weekend. So that, that felt good as well. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm sitting in... Uh, an Airbnb back in Tallahassee, having just wrapped up at uh, Adepticon, my very first one. I'll be talking about that at the end of part two, and I'm, I'm not going to be doing a, bl- a big blog post about my progress with Dark Angels. I'm just going to be adding about maybe 10, 15 minutes of content towards the, when it's pertinent towards the end of the part twos, just for the listeners at home, because um, I know there's quite a few Dark Angels players in my patrons and subscribers who will get something out of that, in addition to hopefully some people just interested in my journey to become the best Dark Angels player in the world, uh, or, well, in the ITC. <laughs> I don't know if that actually means you're the best in the world. It's just, like, best in the world who had money at the time and could travel and yeah had the models yeah exactly you'll be um, the best in but, my eyes adam and that's what matters oh, damn. Stu, legend it's legend mate thank you very much uh we are here to do the gray knights codex retrospective they have been out for just about a year now uh give or take maybe we're uh, maybe we're at 10 months uh yeah. in the longevity of the codex but we're here, we're here to take a look back on that book now that it's been out for a bit see where it started when i first came out where it's sitting right now the ebbs and the flows of its uh opportunities in the metagame and uh yeah what it's got going for it and what the portions of that book have done for that player base you know how good how good has you know things like the stratagems the wall trace the the prognostic cars and things like that have been for people who play great knights um and we do this all the time guys we do this for every uh codex once of course we review them immediately upon release uh when we get them in our grubby little fingers i said yeah we'd like to look back six nine twelve months um after the release of the book and just see where they're sitting right now and how things have transpired because of course we don't always get it right 
um, when I do these reviews. In fact, quite the opposite. Actually, I get it wrong all the damn time, and I like looking back and seeing, you know, where, what did we get wrong, what did we get right, and where we sit now. But Stu, anything you're involved with at the moment? Anything you'd like to plug? Anyone like you sh- you'd like to shout out or say, hey, mum, too? Um, oh, I'm not really. I'm not involved too much in terms of uh, many uh, sort of content creation, so I can't really plug that. But I am on the Audible down on the Discord, uh, so you can reach me there if you have any questions or you just want to say hi. And, um, yeah, if you're in Australia or Victoria specifically, I guess, um, yeah, feel free to hit me up for games or, um, yeah, whatever. That's about it. Awesome. All right. For those of you who don't know, uh, Out of Down Under is primarily a, a review podcast that is the modus operandi. I, uh, I started this podcast because 40K is extremely hard to keep up with. In addition, it's very cost intensive. Um, but, I wanted to do something like a public service, I guess. I'm doing I'm doing quotation marks right now, so that people could listen to something that's hopefully entertaining, hopefully informative. Um, you know, on your drive to work while you're painting, and learn what you need to know about this game in order to keep up, stay current, and hopefully enjoy the ride. This is a two-part podcast. The first part comes out for you guys. That this is the review portion of the podcast, as in when is the new content come out? It will be in part one, the review of it. That will be forever free. It'll be. You can find it on any podcast upgraders, wherever you want. It comes out Tuesday mornings, 5 a.m. This one's going to be a little bit late because I was getting back from Adepticon and I'm half dead uh, or, or mostly dead. We'll see. And um, yeah, part two is for patrons and subscribers only. And that is where we unpack the content that we have reviewed. We talk about what, the, what we think is good, what we think we will build lists out of and what we expect to see in addition I'm always joined by an expert in the faction. Case in point, best player in Australia for Grey Knights in the 2021 ITC season was here and joined us for the initial review of Grey Knights and now is joining us for the retrospective. Uh, we do a bunch of different shows as well. We don't have things to review like with these, like these retrospectives, like these um, uh, state of the super faction ones that I need to get back to doing in addition to some talking head stuff like I did last week with Val and Peter. Um, and we've got that beautiful, you are, you are a tuning player as well, man, aren't you? Um, so I am. To- I'm very excited for what's on the horizon for Tyranids. Yes, I naturally that codex has somewhat been leaked. I, I do not do leaked content. I wait for the final product because I know from um, uh, the playtesting Mates, I'm not a playtester myself and whatnot. Um, I know that the final thing isn't always the thing that they get sent. And so the one we have leaked may not be the final product for the Tyranny Codex. I'm not willing to review something endless. I, I know for 100% it is the true and correct product. Um, so we're holding fire on that one, but it is a very good book. And <laughs> you can expect a very big review of that. I have John Lennon has vetoed and vected all other opportunities. He's locked himself in to do that review with me when that comes <laughs> out. Um, but you can find this podcast over on the Art of War, Art of War 40K or Art of War Down Under over on Patreon. Um, artofwar40k.com you can get a one click bundle or purchase a second part of this content at your leisure and uh, get all the other amazing um, Art of War products as you see fit um, awesome to see that um, uh, one, even though one of the Art of War coaches didn't win one of the Art of War War members won um, the Adepticon singles which we thought was quite cute uh, Zach Point going all the way and beating uh, somebody who I believe he has had coaching calls with in John Lennon. And so I thought that was, that was a cool little master, apprentice became the master section there. But dude, um, we're going to jump in. We're going to talk about Grey Nikes and we're looking back. So when you first cracked open that Grey Nike book um, initially, when we got it, you know, 10 months ago, whatever, what were your first impressions? My first impressions of the 
uh, ninth edition book was a bit mixed because um, I've been playing eighth uh, edition Grey Knights or post psychic awakening Grey Knights uh, in ninth edition for quite some time, and I had a pretty good handle on the tool set that uh, yep. that that those books had. Um, and a lot of those tools uh, disappeared in this book. A lot, a lot of things sort of changed. It did feel like a, quite a bit of an overhaul. But once I sort of, hmm. um, you know, had a, two, a couple of read-throughs of Codex um, and started to work out how this was going to sort of play, uh, I was pretty excited to uh, get it on the table and I had like, you know, I could definitely see a, a few builds sort of forming. Obviously, the Dread Knights were looking, you know, really, really efficient. Um, the... Power Armor had gotten such an upgrade. Um, for me, the Terminators did not appeal to me from the get-go of the book, and honestly, they still don't, <laughs> as we'll just probably discuss later. Um, yep. But, yeah, there was um, there was a lot of exciting new combos to try out. So I think uh, I, mixed but positive after about, you know, a couple of days of sort of having it in my brain. Mm, and so looking back on the, the journey for Grey Knights so far through kind of the modern game, 8th edition, they had one of the very first codexes and it was exceptionally weak. Like it was so devoid of, I guess, dynamic portions. They could do some interesting stuff, but they had like one or two key plays. They weren't super powerful. They were okay, but they had not great units to use them on. In fact, they had horrifically tragic units to use them on. Apart from like a big brick of paladins, when you put every single buff on it, made a pseudo death star, they really didn't have anything going for them, did they? Yeah, no, nothing at all, essentially. Um, and then the Psychic Awakening came out and, like, super ultra-charged, like, the the, yeah. the one play that they did have, yeah? Yeah, it did. Like, they, they got incredible buffs to their shooting. They had ways to become actually durable instead of, you know, just mm-hmm. dying all the time. Um, you know, we got introduced to Tides as well, so a new mechanic that, you know, added an extra layer of rules onto your armies, so... Um, it really sort of gave Grey Knights a way to sort of compete in the, uh, at the time was like the marine dominant meta, if you will. So, mm. And like, I was souping with Grey Knights at the time as well. I was chucking like the Paladin Brick in my um, guard army and it's doing quite well because I was playing a little, you know, pseudo line of, no line of sight battery, you know, with the guide on the Paladins, a couple of payload manacles. It was, it actually did quite well for me in a lot of games. Um, so Grey Knights came out. And one of the things I think that everyone identified immediately was that they were like the the, the most cookie cutter top list. Um, it, it was discovered immediately. The yeah. w- what was the top list was? It was like it was like instantaneous. We just was like, it was a sliding scale of two units. Now, what were those, and why were they so <laughs> good? So those two units were, of course, Dread Knights and uh, Grand Masters and Dread Knights. So the same thing essentially, and Interceptors. Um, yeah, like straight away when the book released, um, both these units were uh, priced very aggressively, uh, as most of the units in the book were. Um, uh, Dread Knights, you know, got a big buff. They all now had a full up and vulnerable save. Uh, they got, you know, an extra wound. Their guns yep. got better. Uh, and they had more ways to receive buffs than ever before. Mm. Um, so there was, yeah, and for 120 points at their starting cost, there was just no way that these weren't going to see um, uh, see play. And Interceptors, you know, we, we've already seen Vanguard Vets being incredibly good for yeah. Space Marines. Interceptors are basically Vanguard veterans. They have, But they have a gun so uh, and a half-decent gun at that. So, mm. um, 
yeah, like straight away we saw this that were combining essentially the max of these five bird nights and um, uh, thirty interceptors. Uh, and my my comparison, yeah, like I said, was Vanguard vets to interceptors. It was like Talon Masters to Dread Knights. Like a Dread Knight was fifty points less than a Talon Master, shot about the same. It probably a little bit better on the Grand probably Masters. A little bit better. Yeah, and then actually had melee. So I was like, this yeah. is kind of fifty points less. This is actually insane. Um, but naturally, you know, it couldn't be bodyguarded. But hey, you could take, you know, you could take so many in a list. Yeah, you could. And like, you know, you had ways to heal them. Um, obviously, the Grandmasters could take. You know, one with a three-up imbo for a turn and one with the, the teleport one shot at. Um, so, you know, they had ways to be extra durable where they needed to be as well. So, Yes, exactly right. And, of course, yeah, like you said, the tides added that extra layer of spice. Now, the way this is going to work from here on in, guys, so we've kind of touched base with the army. We've told you the tale so far. Uh, we're going to go through all the major portions of this Codex, Attachment, Abilities, Wall, or Trades, etc., etc., one by one, tick off how they're shaping up, how they're doing, are they meeting the expectations we thought in the initial review? And uh, we're just pretty, it's kind of, this is kind of like a health check. This is kind of like a physio uh, checkup for the Codex, you know, nine months on, give or take. So, but something changed for that top list, didn't it? It wasn't all hunky-dory. They had a good, like, ooh, was it five months, six months of being one of the dominant best armies in the game. And then what changed? So, yeah, there was two sort of uh, changes for them. The first off being that um, we had the Mission Pack 2022 uh, or the Nakaman season, which introduced now the uh, army building rule that you can only take one sub-faction uh, for your yep. entire army. So uh, for Grey Knights, this meant that you could only take one Brotherhood uh, in your army. Mm -hmm. And because of the limitations within the Grey Knight Codex, you can only have one Grandmaster and one Brother Captain per, uh, bro per Brotherhood and only one in each detachment. So it suddenly meant the five Dread Knight list was, and if you were running it, the sixth one was you couldn't run it anymore because you could only take three Dread Knights due to the rule of three, and you could now only take one Grandmaster. So you can still run four Dread Knights, but you cannot take five. Uh, and the second thing being that uh, Dread Knights all received a 10-point increase and Interceptors also saw a two-point increase. So these efficient units, you know, we expected them to get some point increases. Yeah, so your, your 10 man Interceptors will cost you... Um, was it 20 more points? 40 more points? 20, 20 more points. 20, yeah. 20 more points. And, yeah, another 10 points per... Dreadnought. So, the st how many points did that blow out? Like the standard list pre prior to this. So, if you were running thirty interceptors and five dreadnoughts, then you, your points your list went up one hundred and ten points, basically. So, you know, which pretty is pretty significant, pretty big. Like anything more than one hundred points is like a, a very big um, hit to a certain build or army. So, agreed. Um, and since uh, I find uh, that one, that one's fair. I think most Grainer players saw that one coming. They're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of fair enough. Yeah. We've had it kind of a bit too good for too long. But the sub-faction change really took away a lot. It took away a whole playbook. I know a lot of people were already kind of leaning away from the six Dreadnought build, stuck with the five, sometimes the four, and they would take something like the, you know, the super librarian. They'd be taking Draco or sometimes even a Chappie when they'd flex into it, a couple of Tech Marines. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden, they just lost the entire ability to have a whole secondary playbook attached. You know, there was no flex tech pick. It was just, all right, which Correct. one of these best ones? I, I think taking? the big issue of it is that, um, and we'll touch on this a bit more later as well, is that the Granite book actually lacks a lot of depth um, mm -hmm. because we don't have very many data sheets, um, mm -hmm. which means that when one of the things we did have a bit of flex when 
Brotherhoods was introduced was, you know, taking two Brotherhoods so you had, a, a, you know, little, little extra pieces of tech in your army to help, you know, yeah. deal with the metagame. But now only being able to take one of those, it, it you know, it, it just narrows your choices even more in an already, mm. narrow, you know, when you already don't have many options. So it, it was, I think it hurt Grey Knights um, more than, say, some other armies because they already had quite a bit of depth to them. Mm. But, yeah. I'd, I'd argue it hurt Grey Knights the most or equal the most. Of, yeah, of any I think faction. it hurt Sisters a little more, but that's I, a, I was about to say, I think Sisters is the only one you could argue is worse. Um, I, I think I heard him, uh, maybe, because uh, the comparison I have is Orcs. Orcs uh, used to like taking, before Freebooters and uh, you know, Speed Freaks and stuff, um, pr- prior to their army rounds or, or supplements, they mm. um, they used to like taking two cultures, sometimes three cultures, because there was a lot of tech locked to the clan cultures. And that's exactly the same for Grey Knights. You have a good baseline for a lot of your tech, a lot of your flex flexibility um, in like you know the prognosticars and your relics and strats. But if you want the really ultra-powerful stuff, it's all really like the Brotherhoods, like the pluses to wound and the rerolls and um, all that, plus the tax uh, stratagems. Yeah. It's all really locked. All the big, powerful ones are locked to a Brotherhood. So you only get one choice of those, which is, is quite rough. But jumping in, we're starting this review uh, for those traveling along at home on page 45. These are the detachment abilities. Give us a little uh, TLDR on the health of this section. Uh, yeah, so the detachment abilities is, uh, you know, more or less your standard stuff. You can only have one Grandmaster, one Brother Captain, which I already touched on. It also gives you the um, uh, chapter tactic for Grey Knights, which is the Aegis. So this means that they get a 5-plus uh, Feel No Pain against Mortal Wounds. And if the unit is a Psyker, which is most of your army, you know, 90% of your army, um, then you get to add one to deny the which test taken for those units. Um, as chapter tactics go, I think this is actually very good in 9th edition. There is just still so many Mortal Wounds in the game. Um, being able to blunt that damage is just uh, really good. Uh, and the second dot point of adding one to deny the witch test is feels a little bit more relevant now, now that people are taking uh, more psychers to take mental yeah. interrogation and also the armies in the meta, such as Craftworlds and Harlequins, do want to take psychers. Uh, and it's, yeah, want to take psychers. So the, the plus one to deny is a lot more relevant now than it was uh, when the book initially dropped. Um, I still... While I do say it's pretty powerful or pretty nice still, I think with the newer books we're seeing more and more powerful sort of chapter tactics, so maybe it doesn't hold up to the more more recent ones. Um, But I still think it's a pretty solid foundation as um, as an army-wide rule. I'd like to see – yeah, I would have liked to see one more dot point. Something that makes them – shoot better, fight better, move better, one of those. Just something that gives them something a little bit better. Um, I don't think it needs another dot point, but what I think it needed was, as we'll touch on the next section, which is Brotherhoods uh, for the Grey Knights. I think Brotherhoods needed to work a bit more like Custodian Shield shield Hosts, where they actually got a trait instead of just a Brotherhood psychic power, which I think is probably the biggest failure of this book, to be honest, or biggest thing that didn't really work. But yeah. I, I can't remember if we did it live or not, but I remember discussing with you, like, I felt like there was a, a level of synergy lacking in this book. The the raw power came from the data sheets. The data sheets were just were just ferociously powered at release. But I thought, like, there was there... Should should they do? Should the brotherhoods do different things in different tides? Should you have some incentives like should rapiers be better in convergence or whatever the charge, whatever the, you charge better tide? Um, you know, so when, when mm. you're in... What is that tide called, by the way? Which one, sorry? The one you makes you charge better. 
uh, Titus Celerity. Yeah, so you know, maybe rapiers in Titus Celerity get um, yeah. possibly hit, or so you know, something like the Qatars and the for the the custodies like protocols for you know uh, the dynasties. You know, that one little extra layer of synergy. As I said, right now, and we'll get to tides later, but they're they're a very uh, stale mechanic because I never see them change. It's just like ah. Uh, did you start in Convergence or Shadow? You started in Shadow probably because you think the terrain's bad and you think you're going to get nuked, or mm-hmm. 99% of the time you're in Convergence and you stay in Convergence. Um, yeah. As I said right now, I think the Aegis, the, the five-up feel no pain, is actually still getting better, if that's, yes. if that's crazy uh, to say. I think I think it is. Mm. But the, the plus one deny, it's it's okay. It's it's, it's nice when you've got it, yeah. but nobody's nobody's taking Psychic Secondaries versus Grey Knights, and Correct. nobody's thinking they're, they're winning a Psychic Phase versus Grey Knights. Sans... Uh, Ulthway and uh, T-Suns. Uh, they're the only two that could sit there and think they're going to have a better psychic phase than a Grey Knight army. For sure, yeah. Uh, all right, so on, on to the Brotherhoods. Now, one of the things I thought was cool was upon release, there was like four Brotherhoods that you could see in a list at any one time. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, there was, I think, yeah, about four that, you know, had some semblance of uh, interesting mechanics that you would want to put them in a list. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of the only being able to take uh, one, I think that has definitely narrowed down and you have to basically pick it on, you know, what your list is and what you want it to do. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, saw, uh, I I now think there's about three brotherhoods that are actually um, competitive and I think mm-hmm. the five others are never heard of them and I would pretty much never entertain, nearly yes. never entertain the idea of taking them. So, uh, which is a bit sad when you have eight options and, you know, yeah. not good <laughs> well that's that's pretty much in keeping with a lot of lot at the moment like it's it's duplicity and uh what's the other one Cold duplicity and, to- and time for yeah. t sons and they've they've got like what nine they've got two options and they take nine and, i mean like uh we're starting to see some innovations in custodians but you know it's realistically uh, it's shadow keepers and Empress chosen like it's not unusual to have a best of uh what's your preference at the moment for brotherhoods yeah. Uh, my favorite brotherhood is the one that I set on release and uh, still is my favorite. It's uh, Prescient Brethren. I 90% of yep. the time, time I take Prescient Brethren. It's my favorite package to how I like to play. Um, but um, I also, my second favorite, if you will, would be Rapiers is my mm. other one. No, I think that's that's exactly the, for, for me, I think that's the hierarchy as well. I yeah. think if you're playing more, if you're playing more melee, uh, rapiers make more sense. Yeah. Like if you're still if you're still spamming thirty uh, interceptors, rapiers make more sense. Um, yeah, if you're playing a bit more, if you're playing a bit more of a shooting game, a bit more of a tactical game, a bit more trying to be more dynamic, and uh, but you got a bit of everything in your list. I think pressing brethren hundred percent beats it out. Um, yeah. Why why do you put pressing brethren above rapiers though? So the things that I like about it is the first off is the warlord trait divination, uh, the ability to farm extra command points. I've found just uh, amazing. It's the only way in this entire book to get more command points. Yep. Um, and I find I'm very uh, strategy reliant. And that's also probably partially because of the um, the kinds of lists that I like to play with Grey Knights. Um, and I also think the stratagem foresight is just uh, to get the reroll ones to hit and wound. Yeah. While with Custos being around, it's not as powerful when they can turn off rerolls. Um, mm-hmm. I still think being able to have that on demand in both shooting and fighting, um, especially on the Grandmaster Dreadnought who doesn't natively get rerolls, um, yep. just yeah, it's just always come in clutch for me. And I, you know, you generally because you have the Wall of Trade divination, you're generally getting the CP to fund itself. Um, the Brotherhood Psychic Power isn't very good. I've only used it in one game ever, 
and um, it actually did work for me in that game, which was great. But um, yeah, it was, it's you basically never use it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so jumping over to rapiers being the other one, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty easy. You're taking rapiers pretty much for the strat um, and the psychic power. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and the strat is one CP in the fight phase, and when you select to fight until the end of the phase, each time model you know, makes a fight, you have exploding sixes. Um, and then the uh, psychic power being a plus one attack. Uh, of course, if you're sending in a bunch of interceptors, this is just premiumly, amazingly good. Yeah. Uh, but, so there was a only brotherhood power that's like genuinely good, in my opinion. It, agreed. Oh, sorry, I'm actually, the sword bearers one. Actually, sorry, caveat: sword bearers one is also very good. So that's that's the, that's my second tier. So I think those two, two just pointed out the first tier. The second tier for me has um, sword bearers in it. Yep. And funnily enough, um, it's it's Wardmakers is the super psyche, yeah. Uh no, anyone can run the super Libby, but what Wardmakers um gives is the ability to make it undeniable and the ability yeah. to change one of his powers at mid game if you need it. Yeah, swap swap them out. They've got like the psychic familiar yeah. um option. Um, so yeah, that pretty much wraps up the, the brotherhoods though. Like it it is a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I mean, look, the only other one I think that is maybe a special mention is I knew a few. Players were running uh, Blades of Victory to take the pre-game move on like two Dread Knights. Um, yep. And I think, again, that worked when you could um, mix Brotherhoods because it was, you know, you didn't have to take your whole army as that. But there's no reason to want to... It's not powerful enough of a gimmick to want to make your whole army Blades of Victory. So, yeah. 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 Um, so moving on to the next portion of this book, Wisdom of the Prognosticars is the kind of... Um, customizable in your list, you know, points spend that we've seen in all ninth edition codexes. But this one has two different tables. This one has with visions of the uh, Augurium um, and gifts of the Prescient. Can you unpack this for us and, and give us your little uh, lowdown? Yeah, so the uh, both of these tables are basically paid points uh, to get a one-time, uh, a once-per-game use um, or ability um, on a character. And they do very different, uh, various different things. So I guess the visions of the Orgarium are more special abilities and the gifts of the Prescient are meant to be more like war gear related, but they kind of do the same thing. If I'm being yeah. honest, I don't really know why they sort of separated them, but yeah, I've got no idea. Are. Yeah. Uh, and how many of these can you take on a, on a unit? How many of these do you, do you generally, do we generally see in armies? So um, because they're tied to characters, they're limited to basically to how many characters you're taking in your list or non-named characters. I generally take between two or, two to three of these. Um, and there is some, some good ones in here that definitely hold up. Um, and there's also some of these which haven't seen play yet, but once Codex Demons comes out, like, yeah. still might actually be relevant um we'll have to see but um yeah there's i think there's some ones that you nearly always want and then there are some ones that you want to take depending on your meta and what you're expecting to face agreed uh, so there's one that we see in every single i've seen in every single green eyes army that is the one that lets you shunt pick up and and, and bounce out that's correct uh, yeah that's that's a relic that's uh um, oh, that's the right that's so a relic what, brother, the, yeah is it a three plus invo? The three save? plus invo, yes. That's in nearly go. every list because you take it on a Grandmaster Dread Knight. Yes. Um, so that is just amazingly premium. Once per game, you just flex into a three plus invo, and, mm -hmm. and you know your toughness six with a two up three plus. It's it's pretty crazy hard to kill you at that point. Um, but what are, what are the? I mean, because that's literally the only one I see. What what are the other ones you you consider taking? So the other ones that I think are quite good is a, a Noble Death, which gives you a once per uh, game ability to get a 
objective secured aura off your character and it lasts through your next command phase. Um, yep. It's interesting. This is one of those 20 points you pay to never use this ability because your opponent will never try and take steal your home objectives because they yeah. know you can turn objective secured on um, unless you don't tell your opponent about it. But I tend to always uh, let them know so they don't yep. just waste a unit. But um, uh, the other one that I've played around with is Augury of Aggression, which gives you a 4-plus Overwatch. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I actually don't mind putting this on the Grandmaster Dreadnought himself um, if you don't want to take the 3-up invo, um, which most of the time you don't want to. But uh, when I was in the games that I was running too, I often took this on the one that could teleport because he's a bit weaker defensively in close combat. So this was just another deterrent to um, stop things charging in because yep. you don't want to get four up overwatched by a Grandmaster. Um, and there's also the foretelling of Locust to redeploy three units at the start of the game, which is also that, pretty good. That is the one I expected to see in every I list was very overhyped for this. I, yeah, I know I said this from the last uh, Grandmaster review. I'm like, I'm taking this every game. And I never take it. <laughs> so, like, it's so, know, it's dude, but why is why is that? It sounds amazing. Yeah, I don't know. So I think um, partially it turned into because of the lists that I was taking. Um, I, when you're taking the Dread Knight list, I think this is a lot more powerful because redeploying three Dread Knights is um, really, really potent. Um, but the lists I was taking, I, I, I really leaned into the MSU infantry spam of Grey Knights. Um, and... Redeploying three five-man five units yeah. didn't really have the same effect um, that I wanted it to. A lot of the time when in the games where I was taking it, I found I just wouldn't use it because I'd have put my units in positions where they were safe anyway because I had such a small footprint. Mm. Um, another thing is that this is core locked. If I could redeploy characters and rhinos, I would actually consider it a lot more because I think that would be really yeah really potent um but yeah it's like it's basically just dread knights in your infantry squads that redeploy with this so yeah i think that was another thing that sort of maybe i didn't sort of quite realize when i first um read this that kind of affected um affected my judgment yeah. of it if you will i uh, i am um, i'm finding this a bit of a miss to be honest so the, the, i mean this section the these two yeah. you know columns um and I suppose we should have done the hit of the miss for the brotherhoods and the the, uh, the other sections mm. already. But I think you pretty much discern how we feel about them. I find this a bit of a miss just because, uh, like you said, there's only like there's only one re- really good one. Uh, the, yeah. all, all these all the all these sound good until you realise you're paying points for some, for a one use um, opportunity cost that you know if you're taking it to a tournament, a five or six gamer may not come up in five of your games. Um, yeah. Uh, especially with some of them being locked to exclusively working on demons, it seems like this is just too narrow a band of um, buffs to 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 really warrant the points. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't call this section a miss, but I wouldn't call it overtly powerful. I think at the time when it came out, it felt really good when um, you know books didn't have maybe as insane point upgrades that we kind of have seen yeah. in other books. Um, but I still think a lot of these sort of base mechanics are, are still pretty powerful, and if you feel like you need them in a list, um, you can get uh, quite a bit of value out of them because a lot of the time they're not so much abilities you use, they're deterrents to your opponent and they force your opponent to play different. So I think totally anything, anything that can do that uh, generally is worth like the 10, 15, or 20 points um, that you pay. But again, mm. 
would I if this if if it's is it twenty points I want to spend if those twenty points could you know get me an extra team of strikes? Probably will go for the team of strikes instead. Yeah, yeah. So you really got to balance that up when you're writing your list. Agreed. All right, jumping over to the stratagem section. I remember. I think was it you that was. I think you were quite down on these, weren't you? I, you I wasn't like, sold on the stratagems upon release. Yeah. Um, there yeah. were some good ones, but I just kind of. I wasn't sure, but I think that was also looking from the eyes of we just had some of the best stratagems in Psychic Awakening, so these kind of feel like a downgrade. Um, but I think I'm actually overall pretty happy with this stratagem section. I think this is actually a win for the Grey Knights. I, in hindsight, I'd probably have to agree. Uh, psychic Onslaught, um, Psychic Channeling. The first, like I, pretty, I, I can't remember if I said it then, but I remember thinking the first two... Uh, the bread and butters, anyway. Like the like, they're in they're in order of operation set up for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I I use psychic channeling every game, yeah. uh, nearly every turn of every game. It's just you know making you know any psychic army knows that you know you live and die by your psychic powers going off, so yep. you need them to go off, and this uh, you know gives you a much higher uh, chance of uh, getting that um those psychic powers off. I have still failed powers on 3D6 of the reroll and it hurts my very soul. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like if you need a power to go off, you're, you're spending the strategy. It's just as simple as that. Very good. Uh, and it's only one CP, so it doesn't feel uh, overcosted at all. Yep. Uh, on slot, well, again, it's just making you shooting better. So can't ask much yeah. more than that. And it goes hand in hand with uh, cyborg ammunition as well, with those two being. Yeah. Was that they, they they got split up, didn't they? They used to be one one no, two. No, they, they, they were different stratagems, but they more or less did the same thing. They yeah. sort of do different things nowadays. So um, yeah, I think Cyborg's also not a bad little stratagem either. What are some other standout strats? Um, so the other ones that I think really sort of jump out at me was uh, I know a lot of people weren't taking Brother Captains, but I still thought the Psychic Locus for Brother Captains to give an aura of plus one to cast was uh, yeah. pretty clutch in a few games. Um, I usually use this on a turn where I wanted to like put out, pour out a bunch of smites and it would give me a lot more reliability on casting like three or four smites to do uh, a crap ton of yeah. water wounds, which is uh, always good. Um the other ones was Death from the Warp to get plus one to hit when you arrive from Teleport Strike. Um, plus one to hit is always good. Uh, what are the others? Uh, Cybolt's worth mention. Um, the shooting is, you know, just getting AP1 on, you know, Stormbolt is just it's nice when you have that amount of volume yeah. of shots. Uh, fight on the move um, for the any teleporter unit, which is Dread Knights and Interceptors. Uh, for one CP, can fallback shoot and charge. So, again, another reason why uh, those units were very, very popular. And, of course, the one that everyone loves is Teleport Shunt, which is 2 CP, a teleporter unit can, uh, in your movement phase, basically pick up and then appear anywhere nine inches away from any models, which is, you know, it's like a second source of Gate of Infinity, one of the most powerful psychic powers in this book. Amazing. Simply amazing. Agreed. I do think the strats is one of the best sections of this book, and yeah. I think it's um it's hard it's it's hard to argue with it when you've got like essentially like three bread and butter strats every single turn that you, you really don't mind yeah. spending on. Um, jumping over to the relics, I found this section initially to be one of the most powerful sections of the book. 
Uh, but it's kind of faded because um, I think it's just... It's- yeah, I don't know. My initial impressions of that was that you have the Sigil of Exigence, which is like incredible S-tier relic and mm-hmm. still is. Yep. Uh, yes. The rest of it is mediocre to trash, in my opinion. And I, I thought that <laughs> from the moment that this book came out. So, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I really liked... Um, a theory of conduct because we could tell how yeah good that, that, was was. A, that one's a solid one and it was something we kind of already knew was good just from codex marines it does the same thing as a master of the forge yeah yep. um so you know it's a relic slot for that but i think anything any of the other ones that are like uh yeah they're just there's nothing that really jumps out the one i will give a spe- special mention to because i did use this relic a lot uh was the cuirass of sacrifice which gives yep. an infantry model, add one to armor saving throws, and a five up, feel no pain. Uh, I was taking this on my brother captain, um, and the list mm-hmm. that I was running used him as their to the last option. So having him running away, around with a one up save, a four up, invulnerable save, and a five up, feel no pain with six wounds made him surprisingly tanky, um, just in case someone tried to assassinate him. Yep. Um, but yeah, apart from that, everything else just. Just not everything else feels like you can give it a miss pretty easy. That is fair, and like, but sigil of exigence is one of the best relics in ninth edition. It it's is, it is straight incredible, up. incredible. Bonkers. It's like the Praetorian plate, but for shooting. So you know, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's I think it's better than the Praetorian yeah, plate. Yeah, I, I agree because, of, because you can take it on a dread knight. If you, yeah, if the you can take, plate if is you can, a bit more aggressive, but the, if you can take Praetorian yeah. plate on a Telamon. You know, that's, yeah, that's the, is the comparison. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so jumping over to the psychic disciplines, we have two here. The first being the Dominus discipline and the Sancti discipline. Please tell us the differences here because there are some nuanced little things uh, going on with these two, with the, the psychic confluence. Sure thing. Uh, so the Dominus discipline is the um, discipline that your characters have access to. Um, and these include a lot of your bread and butter psychic powers like Gate of Infinity, um, so teleporter unit, essentially. Uh, Empiric Amplification, which is a malediction you cast on enemy units and psychic and nemesis weapons, uh, which is basically all your close combat weapons. And um, most of the shooting weapons that are good in your army get plus one damage against that target. Uh, Sanctuary for the four-up invo, Vortex for extra mortal wounds. Warp Shaping is the power that allows you to change your tide. And Ghostly Bonds is half move on an enemy unit. Um, yeah, these are um, these, these. This is a good a psychic tree. It has, like I said, your bread and butter psychic powers, um, Gate of Infinity, and Empiric Amplification. You are never going to leave home without as a Grand Knight yep. player. They are just bread and butter. Um, and then we have the Sanctic Discipline, which uh, has a special rule straight from the get go called Psychic Confluence. So what this allows you to do is each time a Grand Knight Psyker is selected to manifest psychic powers, it can attempt to manifest any of the psychic powers that it knows from the Sanctic Discipline, even if that power has already been manifest, attempted to be manifested by another unit that phase. So, uh, and every time you do so, you just have to add one to the power's warp charge yep. value. Um, so basically now uh, your Grey Knight squads um, have powers assigned to them. You don't get to pick them. Um, so for strike teams, it's hammer hand. For purifiers, it's purifying flame, uh, and so on and so forth. And this allows them. The downside of not being able to pick them is they get what they get. But the good news is is that you can cast the same power multiple times. So you could have three units of strikes to get hammer hands 
to Hammerhand and get reroll wounds, um, yeah. which I have done in a few games and it is very effective. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but it also has some very low notes, such as Purge Soul, which is a power that I had never cast <laughs> and I would never, ever cast in you my entire never life. Cast. So, deleted. Yeah, again, there's only five powers in the Sanctity Discipline. <laughs> the one thing that I found uh, interesting was, of course, like I said, that it's treated like Smite. You get plus one to every, every subsequent cast, and you were spamming units. What's the what's the power that um, Interceptors get? Uh, ethereal Castigation, which is the... Basically, fire and fade, but you do it in the psychic phase, and it's about. Yeah, and I've seen people cast that uh, pretty effectively at times, especially to get out of dodge when you just wanted to get a little bit of shooting from the unit, but not let it die. Uh, yeah. And but they're locked to the unit; you don't get the choice. And I found that quite an interesting um, thing that for GW to do because picking all your powers and getting them all plumb and all right and and working it perfectly was a real big skill check for a lot of Grey Knight players. It forever was. yeah it was um i think i like it in some ways because it means that you don't have as much bookkeeping um yep. like before you had to you know if you're running msu you had so many units and each one had a different power um it could get a bit confusing for you and your opponent to keep track of like where all your powers are um yep. but again you know we've touched on this a few times this book doesn't feel like it has a lot of depth so again when you're taking away choice it feels like you've got even less depth to sort of, you know, change to your specific matchups and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, like it's got good good sides, but it also has some some negative sides to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yay or nay with the, the psychic powers? The, the I think it's power. a yay from me. I think most of these are good enough to, um, uh, yeah, just feel, they feel like they're it's a good psychic tree. Um mm-hmm. You know, Grey Knights still have, you know, one of the best psychic phases in the game, and I think these powers really reflect that. Um, there's a few that I think could have seen uh, a little bit better. Um, Astrolame comes to mind. Um, obviously, this was yep. in 8th uh, edition and allowed Dude. you to ignore line of sight and was incredibly busted. <laughs> um, took and the words. Still be. Took the um, words right out of my mouth. I was about to say, pre-Grey Knights Codex, we said... If Astral Aim is not still Astral Aim, this book will just be worse than what you had. That was right. pretty much verbatim what we said to each other. Um, mm. that, happily, that wasn't the case, because, but Astral Aim was going to be OP if they got good data sheets, and they got good data sheets. They did. Um, so it, it's very so good it's, I was very sad to see Astral Aim um, changed <laughs> because it was a power mm. that I love to abuse. Um, but, like... I guess my issue with it now is it does feel a little bit lackluster. So nowadays it allows you to swap charge value of six and each time the Psyker's unit uh, is selected to shoot, you can reroll one hit roll and you ignore the benefits of cover against their shooting attacks. Don't, don't understand why it's warp charge six. It's not, that, it's not powerful oh, enough to I be agree. Charge six. I think if it's going to be warp charge six, I honestly think it should be able to, you should be able to reroll a hit and a hit wound roll, roll. And a wound. So yeah, you've got a bit of both worlds. Um mm-hmm. But um, or you should be count as stationary when you uh, fire, so that you know your purgation That's squads fair. they can move yep. and shoot, and you know as long as they get that power off and if we'll keep it warp charge six, but then they hit on three still. I think that yep. would be a nice. Um, uh, I think it would have been a nice way to do it. Um, it just seems the middle. It feels a little bit lackluster, but I'm also a fan of purgation squads, so like. I don't know, maybe I'm a bit schizophrenic on YouTube, but yeah. A bit weird. 
I think it's a it's a it's a pass with an asterisk for me because yeah. I think it's most of this like the dominant discipline. It's just it's like you said it's 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 number one, number two, and I, I don't see anything else. I've seen Vortex maybe twice ever. <laughs> uh, I, um, I think no, I think Vortex. Vortex is used in most grain art lists, especially because of the mortal wound living. No, I, I never see it cast. I see it's on the list. That, oh, that sorry, barely, yeah, yeah, it barely yeah, ever gets cast. Yeah. Um, like this one, it's the other one that gets listed is you know a gate uh, impl- uh, amplification and vortex. Warp shaping is so weird. Warp shaping was in every list, hundred percent necessary. Um, in in every list pre codex, and I've I've don't see it ever. I, I still take it in every list, but um, I rarely ever cast it. If that makes sense. So I, weird. I feel, so like, weird. For the uh, one out of ten games that you actually do need to cast it, it's something you really need. But um, yeah, most of the time you're not really going to cast it because you're going to stick in the tide that you start in. Sanctuary is also good uh, to give a unit a four up in bow. I've used that to really, really good effect. Um, especially, I like to put it on a rhino because it makes a rhino surprisingly durable. <laughs> but um, yep. yeah, so but again, gate of infinity amplification they're the ones that are uh, really make this army tick so uh you need those all right onto the litanies so these guys have their own litany tree as you know pretty similar to how black templars do except they have you know psychic and black templars don't uh but this was i thought this was uh, a phenomenal section of the book when it was launched and i can't tell you the last time i played against a, a chaplain i think you had a, actually you had one I had um, one for a bit. Uh, yeah. I took it out of my list pretty quick. Um, so this this section caused a lot of um, uh, a lot of attention when it uh, sort of the book was initially released because of one of these uh, litanies, which was Words of Power. It essentially allowed you, while you're in Tide of Convergence, to every wound roll of a six would allow you to get two wounds and two mortal wounds in addition. Uh, yeah. So you could get you know strike teams coming out and doing something like you know. Uh, 12 mortal wounds and like <laughs> you know 30 wounds on something and it was like the damage still to this day is like incredible out of words of power um yep. but the rest of the litanies i have no idea even what they even do at this stage i <laughs> never I, I never use them i've never heard of a chaplain um they're just like i don't know they're just because your chaplains can only take one litany they're going to take words of power. You're taking a chaplain to take words of power because if you, for whatever reason, you need it in your meta. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of them just don't do anything useful. So, so I will, I will, I will counter that in a well, maybe, maybe not counter that, but I'd like to open a discourse for the litanies to be an option again. Recitation of projection, um, giving plus six inch range to your bot weapons. Um, um, and psi weapons, sorry, versus harlequins, game changer. You never get into never get into range unless you've got, you know, because everything's going to be twenty four to sixteen. Uh, sorry, twenty four you know, that, to that's eighteen. That's true. That's true. Actually, I hadn't considered that. Actually, so that that is a good point. Maybe there is an, a, a fringe reason to take that if you're, you know, well, every man and his dog's going to be running the void weeders now. So you know, exactly. Um, uh, so that that's genuinely actually a, a good pickup. Um. Again, though, it feels bad to take a 110-point character just for that. Because the not very good in combat. He gets one yep. cast, um, which, again, he could cast a, a useful power for you. But, yeah, it uh, feels a bit rough just to take it for that. But I agree. I don't mind uh, Psalm of Purity 
because of uh, Custodes, um, because uh, so it's great as core character um, is within six, and then on sixes they get an extra AP. I don't love it, I, but I think it can be yeah, okay. Especially I think when- it's it's one of those things, yeah. And it's an aura, which is nice um, to get yep. some extra AP. Again, if you're in a position where you're relying on rolling sixes to wound <laughs> to do any damage, it's probably not a good strategy. It's just realistically <laughs> the yeah, probably the, the hard truth of it. Um, yeah. Again, uh, I don't want to sound too negative on, on the book uh, overall, but I, I think the, the litanies are just world's well, power is good and the rest just are, are, are mediocre at best. So I'm going to disagree. I think the litanies are good, and the, but the chappy sucks. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair. The chappy is chappy pretty could- bad. If the chappy could take a side cannon and a freaking uh, thunder ha- nemesis weapon, or if it was if it could be kitted like a captain or even a brother captain, you could make a, so many more arguments for it. But it's just this very inflexible shell that gets can do sometimes decent litanies in the right matchups. Yeah, I, so I, I, I think, think that's that, fair. I think it's just not worth the hundred and ten points that you pay for him. It feels bad to shell that yeah. out. Yeah. All right, um, into the Warlord traits, my man. Uh, we've only got six here. Um, there's there's not really much to say. First of the fray was horrifically nerfed for, for no reasons whatsoever. They could have kept it exactly the same. Um, so well, you just give reroll charges. It was good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the I, best I, one you had for it. <laughs> I actually don't hate first of the fray. Um, I don't. I don't hate it either. It's just got yeah. T's and C's that frustrate me. Sure. Yeah. No, I can understand that. Um, I was I was taking first of the fray a few times on my um, Grandmaster Dreadnought just to give him a more reliable charge because um, it, it adds one to plus. Basically, first of the fray is plus one to advance and charge rolls for uh, your warlord. It does have a second bullet point with the caveat that basically, if your warlord's already in combat, then other units charging into the same combat get plus one to charge. But I mean, like. Uh, you, when it comes up, sure, it's nice, but like again, it's not something you're gonna really build a game plan around, uh, if that makes yeah. sense. So um, it's good to just help give your grandmaster a more reliable charge because when he gets to combat, he does some, you know serious damage. Mm. So the one that broke our bra- I think the one that broke my brain when we first saw it was unyielding, unyielding anvil because unyielding anvil right still the war. best one. Yeah, yeah, it's I never leave home without this warlord trait. Um, it's so good. Like obsec on demand is just so good. You know, well, it's, it's the of, so rights of war gives an obsec aura of six inches, but it doesn't give ob- double obsec if you already have it, which is what yeah. this gives. So the the mandatory strikes you have to take if you take a battalion or patrol all of a sudden get double value, and then all the spammable units, you know, your dread knights and your um, interceptors and your purgation squads and your well, yeah. what is not core the land raider. <laughs> yeah, but, pretty much. Like all, all your um, all the Grey Knight specific units, anything that's not shared with ca- um, Codex Space, space Marines, Marines is uh, basically core. Cool. So, um, you know, that's nice. So everything <laughs> that's worth taking is core. Cool. Uh, yeah. So you, your army should almost be exclusively core cool and characters, essentially. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> minus well, one yeah, of the Cheeky Rhino is good. Cheeky Rhino is good. Um, and I do... I do know you were a fan of the Cheeky Rhino. Um, Psychic Epitome was... I, I, I learned to fear Psychic Epitome when I saw it on something because I knew mm. like just the, the sheer amount of mortals that could be done to me in a turn. Uh, but it's a fringe build, isn't it? It is. Um, I know a lot of Grey Knight lists at the minute are taking in uh, the Mortal Libby. Um, I actually... 
my funny story with the model Libby is that um, people were telling me to use him and stuff like that, and I was really against him. I thought he was very much a gimmick um, and just wasn't really good to take against, you know, good players just will never allow you going allow you to do enough damage with it. They would just play around yep. it. Uh, but I actually ran it in my master's list, and I got to say, I'm sold on him. That guy's actually really, <laughs> really good. Um, I agree. So there's obviously, yes, there are a lot of play arounds your opponent can do to make sure that he's not uh, as effective, but he's still a threat piece. And, um, you know, it, while your opponent can do stuff to prevent him from being good, you can also just do extra plays to make him really good and put him in the right position. So yeah. um, it kind of works both ways that way. Um, so if you're taking the Mortal Wound Libby, you are taking Psychic Epitome. Uh, so I think it, I, I think it's a good Warlord trait, you know? I think, I think it's, it's good. Right. Yeah, I think it's good for what it is. Um, overall, I give the Warlord trait a tick just because there's, mm. there's two, there's one S tier, never yeah. leave home without it. And then there's two nice, you know, A or B plus. Yeah, and um, also like Hammer of Righteousness and Demon Slayer are pretty nice as well too. Um, yeah, they're fine. Yeah, they they give you good combat buffs. I know uh, I was never big on making the uh, already good Dread Knight more choppy, but like I, I know a few people were, so you can actually make him more choppy, which is always good. The only one that's terrible is Nemesis Lord, and you'll never take it. So you know, never take good. it. No. Yeah, black it out. No, there is no number five. There is no number five. <laughs> uh, on to what I think is the best. This is the best page, in, best page in the book. Best page in the book, and uh, because it's got possibly the best secondary in the game. Or yeah, uh, absolutely crazy. Tell us the story. Go straight to the good one. Yeah, straight to the good one. So we are, of course, talking about the uh, purifying ritual, which is a warpcraft secondary. Uh, basically, what this one is, it your units in your army have to perform the purifying ritual psychic action, which is warp charge five. Uh, in your psychic phase, this action can be performed by any number of units in your army. In your psychic phase, if a Grey Knight Psycho unit from your army was within three inches of an objective marker, it can attempt to pur purify it by performing this psychic action. Each objective marker cannot be purified more than once in the same turn. And the table is if you purify one objective, you get one point. If you purify two, you get two. And if you purify three, you get four. And if you get four or more, you get six points. Um, this is I've yet, yeah, it's amazing. I've yet to see I've yet to see anybody need to purify four in a turn. I've done uh, it it's a lot. Like, <laughs> it's un, it's just like unnecessary. It's like ah, oh, I've just you see that you see that meme where someone you know someone's just dropping sausages on somebody like this is a yeah. whole packet of sausages <laughs> in the face. It's like my cup overfloweth with points. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but you know, in in the vast majority of games, you can especially if you go first, getting three on turn one is just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's very easy to cast. It's Warp Charge 5. It doesn't increase or get harder to cast, which is something I thought yeah. it should do. Uh, uh, this is phenomenal. And the scoring pressure it puts on your opponent and the, the freedom against you have with things like yeah. always taking things like Stranglehold, which keys into this. If you're getting if you're getting four points on uh, Purifying Ritual, most likely you're getting three on Stranglehold. Or you're getting you're getting two minimum two on Engaging All Fronts should you want to go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, it's it's just such a phenomenal uh, secondary, and it gives you a lot of options um, for list building and playing the game. Because um, <clears throat> we have one thing I like to do is that because it's such a good secondary, 
I'm happy to play the first two turns quite cagey and just score two yeah. points off it. Like I can score four points in the two uh, first two turns because I know turns three, four, and five, I can get uh, just a maelstrom of points very quickly off this secondary. So it allows you to conserve units for um, later in the game as the game becomes more developed. Um, yep. And especially when you're going second, you want things alive at the end of the game to capitalize on getting that nice, juicy uh, max primary at the end of the turn, um, mm. or 12, I guess now, but possibly max it's primary been, at the end of the game. So, it's yeah. kind of, so, so the only really comparable um, secondary to this is banners. You know, you have to have a unit of uh, infantry, you know, usually, or sometimes characters put up banners. Yeah, but you have to have a unit on an objective that does mm. an action. Um, you know, people, you know, sacrifice, you don't get to do anything else if you put up a banner, yeah? You don't get to do anything yeah. else. You chuck up a banner unless you've yeah. got a special ability. But this one, you just, it's, it's, in, it's instead of casting a psychic power, it's on an infantry squad usually or something that's not a character, so they don't have a flexible um, psychic option anyway. Yeah. You're either going to be doing your, you know, hammer hand or astral aim or smite or get automatically get points, but you still get to shoot and charge. It's not like you're putting up a banner where you Yeah. You don't really yeah. lose any efficiency out of your unit apart from like maybe a snipe. But like, yeah, exactly. And it's so it's absurd. It's so, so, so good. The other cheeky uh, thing about it as well is that, um, and I did this a lot as well, is that because it's a psychic action, you can do the psychic action, score your points, and then cast gate to get that unit back to safety if you don't want to yeah. like lose a unit. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of like combos around this secondary to just get really good value out of it so it's yeah like there are two other granite secondaries but they're just like nowhere near as good as this secondary and you're probably not going to take compared to this one a uh, question for you um <laughs> just this play that i've just never thought of because people you just you, what you just said you know you put out a unit do a ritual gate it back um because people are doing that right now they're doing that with um quicken and a uh, farseer on a, on a jet bike the farseer mm -hmm. goes out throws out a doom um, spend a CP, sorry, spend a CP because uh, then it can do Doom and Psychic Ritual or Pierce the Veil or whatever the hell, and then you quicken them with um, Fate Dice and send them back. Could you do that twice in one turn with um, with Grey Knights? Because you can do one that does uh, gets Empiric Amplification on it, like you run a unit up, do it, amplify, move it back, and then you gate the second one. So, no, because um, the I think you mean Ethereal Castigation, which is the move twice power and the yeah, whatever. So yeah, whatever. that one um that one is on interceptors themselves. So they're casting it on themselves. Ah, so they can't, yeah. you know, do the psychic action and then still cast a power. So and they can't get someone else to cast it on them. Um mm -hmm. yeah, I, I really wish it did work that way. <laughs> but nah, no, no. One's quite. enough. No one, one is, is enough. enough. I thought it must be something there because I've, I've something I've never seen people do, and you would you would totally do it if you could. Um, jumping over, I think we'll just talk a little bit about data sheets, um, just a, a minute or two, then we'll wrap this one up and give our verdicts on the health of this book. Uh, of course, we don't really need to talk about interceptors or um, or dread knights. Everyone knows what they are. Everyone knows they're, they're easily the best things in the book. Let's talk about some of the outliers because there is a couple of units that you really like that I don't see really anybody else taking. I'm talking yeah. about per. Um, Per, per purgation squads and sometimes purifiers. Yeah. So, um, again, this is a big part of um, the list that I sort of fell in love with and was playing consistently for about four months, which was basically the MSU infantry uh, build. Um, power armor build, yeah. Yeah, power armor build. So um, why I sort of built this list was mainly because I liked to the last 
as a secondary way too much. And I wanted to be able to build that into my granites list. So I built, I wanted to make it three characters being Drago, my grandmaster dreadnought with the three up invo and teleport when he shot at relic. So pretty much never dies unless I throw him away. And um, a third character, which can just sit at the back and not engage with the enemy, which was my brother captain. So everything had to be cheaper, 130 points or less. And all of the five man power armor teams are 130 points or less. So basically my list from there was decided. It was, um, but yeah, basically going into using purgation squads and purifiers, um, purgation squads are your, essentially your devastator squads. They take some heavy shooting weapons. Um, you know, look, they're, they're okay. I, I really <laughs> like them, right? But yep. I'm an, I'm an under, under no like, qualms that dreadnoughts are much more efficient shooting for the points that you pay um however purgation squads do do a few interesting things that dreadnought dreadnoughts don't yeah, do um, do. the uh. first is that they are a smaller footprint so they're easier to um you know hide and stuff like that they're an infantry squad so they can string out they can move through buildings and stuff like that um and Generally, with Grey Knights, like uh, a Dreadnought can't take two heavy Psy Cannons. Um, yeah. It has to take a Gatling Silencer and a Psy Cannon. And to be honest, it's only or really the Psy Cannon. option. Oh, that never, heard of. never heard of it. Uh, never heard um, of, never seen. Never heard of it. Um, but basically, the only shots I really care about are the Psy Cannon shots because you have so many Storm Bolters in your list that you generally don't need extra Dakar. Um, so purgation squads allow you to basically just hone in on those damage two shots and give you more value out of your psychic um, onslaught uh, to get you know twelve strength eight AP two shots. Um, but they do take a bit more work to make them efficient. So I was always taking Drago so I could give one unit chapter master, and I was taking a brother captain for reroll ones to wound. Um, and at that point, they started to be an actual force to be reckoned with. Yep. Um, but again, they're not as not they weren't as good as Dreadnoughts in terms of the shooting, but they still allowed me to get the same function out of them, um, yep. and take to the last as a good secondary. Um, the other unit purifiers purifiers are really underrated. This unit is actually good. Um, the power they get is purifying flame, which is an automatic three mortal wounds, and if they cast it on an eleven or higher and they do get plus one to cast this power, it does D3 plus three mortal wounds. Uh, it just gives you extra psychic damage, but what's cool about it is it doesn't scale with smite. So you can, you know, chuck a few smites out and then a couple of purifying flames out, and suddenly you've put, like, 10 mortal 15. wounds out pretty easily, I've, pretty reliably. I've, I've, seen, I've seen you do 15. Yeah, I've done, <laughs> I think I've done 20 in one turn. It was a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, uh, they also do have access to the minus one damage stratagem, specifically for purifiers. It's a bit expensive at two CP, um, but there is a few fringe cases where this becomes really good. Um, so I liked having that little bit of a tech piece in a in my in my army. So yeah, um, I guess they're the data sheets that were not as popular that I've been using. I still haven't used terminators. Um, I just think they're way too expensive for 40 points model. Um, and, yeah, I'd love to take Dreadnoughts too, but Dreadnoughts are, again, way too expensive. <laughs> so, Reef. 
yeah. that's that's uh, about it. So, all right. So, verdict, verdicts, man. How's mm-hmm. how's this book holding up? I think how did you? How do we? I think we rated this as a A plus or S tier book when it first came out. Because I, it was, I was a bit more. I know I was a bit more cautious with rating it. I think I said yeah. it was B plus. I was like, this is going to be uh, a B plus book, and I think in the hands of a good player, it can reach A tier. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually still think it's probably about a B plus to a B book. Um, I don't. I, obviously, the meta game's a lot more hostile to it at the minute. Yeah. Um, yep. As it is for uh, quite a quite a few armies, but I kind of think an army which has good stratagems and still quite efficient data sheets, uh, and you know, pretty decent tricks can never really be worse than B unless it's really overcosted. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's still probably about a B or a B-plus tier, tier army. Um, but I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Do you think that that sort of lies with your thinking? Yeah, I think it's a B to B-plus at best. I think a power, like power armor in the current meta is bad. Uh, if you're in, if you yeah. if you're wearing power armor, it's a bad it's a bad day. It's just a bad time. Uh, I think Grey Knights are arguably the best power armor army in the game. I, I, yeah. I'd be happy to have that argument. I think they're they're possi- they're possibly better than anything that Codex Space Marines can do. I can tell you right now, they are better into this meta than anything Sisters can do. In addition, um, but yet they're just like it. They're just a book with crutches. Like it's just propped up by these two data sheets. Still, yeah. Um, I'd like to say I would have loved to have seen that the same the same breath that they put up Dread Knights and Interceptors they took down Purgs and Purifiers and just every other option. Yeah, especially it's kind, of, it's kind mean, of weird though because like Purgs and Strikes and stuff are still twenty two points a model. They're only two points more expensive than an Intercessor. I know, right? I and know, they're, and they're loads better than an Intercessor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I, I don't know if it's just, uh, if anything, I think those things are appropriately costed and other things in the game are too cheap, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know how cheap you can make a power armor marine before it's like, yes, like just silly, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I agree. Um, hurting those two data sheets um, hurts the army because, again, well, it, it hurt, it, it hurt, it. Only took from the book without giving anything back. Like it only took away yeah. op- opportunities and options without offering anything else up. Uh, yeah. I mean, realistically, those were that they they're too those two were too good. Like the, the Dread Knight oh. especially was too good. I, I no, agree. I'm not going to defend no real, the matter. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, the one thing I will say though, as well, with uh, you know, like I've said already, this book is a one that lacks a bit of depth. But the only way to really overcome that is when. Because you don't have other options, the data sheets that you do have need to be aggressively costed. They need to feel good all the time because mm-hmm. they're your only option. And that's where at the minute the book's kind of suffering that we don't have other options to take, but the options that we can take don't feel good enough. Yes. Uh, 100% I agree. Uh, so on that note, I think I'm going to leave off saying, I think you're about right. They're, about a, they're, they're a solid B. And depending on which build, you can go to B plus, maybe even A minus in some meta games, depending on what what's regionally strong for you. But there's just such that I mean, Crusher Stampede was the one for me that kind of just oh, just like don't e- talk e- to me about even oh, even unnerfed no. like even unnerfed Grey Knights just had no answer. It's just like oh, your Dread Knights don't do any damage. Uh, we've got Invulns against all your melee. When you're minus one damage, and Hive Guard just absolutely just bam pound town. 
Crush It was the only thing I lost to at Adelaide this year, and I lost to it by two and three points both times. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking, yeah. Wait, man. Dude, I remember you telling me, just being, and I was, me were just being like, dude, I'm proud of you getting that close. You're like, usually you would just go down by 30 and you had no I, recourse I would have beaten both times if it didn't have the OBS extra. <laughs> that's ex- that's and that's the thing, yeah. Like, it's Crusher is just quietly good at uh, the primary for no it's, reason. It's phenomenally <laughs> like, good at the primary. Yeah, and when I, I I underestimated that when I played, uh, my initial impressions of the Crusher Stampede was couldn't play the mission well, and yep. uh, I, I was definitely wrong on that. I'll, I'll cop that all the way. That, that, that book has, that that. Army of Renown has no right to be that good at the primary game. It has no <laughs> right to be. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Uh, but anyway, on that note, we're going to wrap up this part one. Come over and join us on part two. We've got a bunch of questions. Some of them are really pertinent to things that I've kind of danced around talking about. Like, we haven't talked about any of the Terminators yet. Like, Paladins no, or Terminators. What's wrong with them? Why aren't they good? Because that used to be a core. It's one of the really cool thematic things. You can take troop Terminators. Um, we've, we've got some questions pertinent to that. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about from that has been sent in um, from great up players in our in our um, Patreon and subscriber bodies. Uh, so please jump on and get involved in the war room as well if you'd like. But if you are a subscriber to me or a patron, you can ask anything of us on these episodes, even if they're not related to the to- to the subject matter or they're just funny, goofy stuff. We'll, we'll answer them. And in addition, I'm going to be talking about my progress with Dark Angels and my run at Adepticon. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Stu. Are you still buoyant about Grey Knights, or are they hitting the shelf at the moment? So at the minute, they are unfortunately hitting on my shelf, but part of that is because I am very excited about the mid book that's coming out. People that have known me for a long time know that Nids are my baby faction. I absolutely yep. adore them and love them. Uh, so seeing them get the uh, uh, some love and attention really gets me excited. Um, but um, at the minute, I've like I said, I've been playing Grey Knights uh, for about six months um, as soon as the book was released. And because the book has no depth, kind of bored of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel I've explored all my options. So... I want to get something a bit fresh in me. So, yeah. well, you you played like you said you played them solid for six months before they came out, and you played them pretty much up until the last cup, up until like this year, pretty much. Um, you played them at Adelaide Uprising, and then at, at Vic Masters. So you played them for the first couple of months of this mm-hmm. year as well. So you put in like just shy of eighteen months straight on. Yeah, the so. I'm very happy to claim the title of the Grandmaster from Down Under. So nice, nice, yeah, yeah. cool. I like you code yourself that. You said before, um, there. You said no, they're hitting on my shelf at the moment. I've just had the vision of a, a, a grey knight hitting on a shelf, being like, uh, you hold objects here often. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I don't want to um, play with you anymore as I slowly drop it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, all right. On that note, we will <laughs> we will tune out. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. We'll see you over on part two. Hopefully, you will join us there and continue to support what I do. Uh, please go and support all the other things that, that Art of War does as well. And thank, thank you very much, Stu, for being one of my most long-standing supporters in that realm. And hopefully, you found it worthwhile as well. Let's give it to us, Thank you very much, Adam. Good night, everyone. Take care. Good luck at Oz Masters. Oh, I'm not at Oz Masters, but thank you anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm going to edit that out. Yikes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow.